If this is your first time here at Word of Grace, welcome to the Crazy Bunch. Um, and we're so glad that you could worship with us. And I say this quite often for those who are part of this church know this. I say it very often. It is not a small thing that we gather as the body of Christ. Wherever it is, um, it is something that we should always treasure, bring it back to the front of our mind. Because sometimes you're used to doing this week after week, and you're like, oh, Sunday, I'm here. But it is a privilege to meet as the body of Christ. Um, When I grew up, I grew up in a nation where we got to meet together regularly. Right now, the country I came from, you're not allowed to meet as openly as we do. Um, there are things that are, there are nations where right now people are persecuted just for doing this. Um, so it's a, it's a costly thing that we are doing. Sometimes when it doesn't cost you anything, it feels like something like you can do like that. So treasure these moments, treasure the fact that you get to worship together. Um, so yeah, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, elders of this church. And I've been working with um, this, kicking off this year with this built to last theme that we have decided to work with for 2024. Why built to last? Because the things of God are eternal. And we are often so caught up by the things that we are doing with everyday life, with our job, with our family. How many of you have kids? They take over your world very quickly, right? A lot of things can happen that just absorb you. Relationships can be absorbing. Finances can be absorbing. It's just all-consuming. And what Jesus has called us to is a life that is set on heaven, set on the purposes of God. And that's nice in theory, but it's really hard because you're like, Does that mean I need to be at more church meetings? Is that what he's talking about? No. And so this year we're going to be unpacking why it's not church meetings. Why it has got to do with who you are in Jesus. What your life looks like in private. Those are the things that are going to matter. And that's what Jesus is looking at. So we started with living for eternity. And I'm going to be following up with just a two week series on some foundational core things about what it means to follow Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, you see God say this, and He was talking about Jesus that was to come. But in the book of Isaiah, He says, Therefore says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, of a sure foundation. Whoever believes in him will not be put in haste, or the word more specifically is, will not be cast aside in shame. And you see this referenced in the New Testament in a few places, this passage of scripture. What is he talking about? He's talking about a cornerstone. Does anyone know what a cornerstone looks like? Yeah? People who have done some form of building know that a cornerstone is often the first piece of block that is put down that helps you orient exactly how the structure that you're building is going to be built. Length, breadth, everything, and including the direction in which it's going to be built upwards. So it orients everything that has to do with the building. So if I put a block angled like this, that's the edge. Right? This building is going to grow that way and out in a square or rectangular fashion. If I turn it just a little bit that way, it's going to go this way. Does that make sense? So the work of Jesus being a cornerstone that allows you to judge what is straight this way and what are the angles it's going to go that way, that way. So it's not just you just plonk a rock and be like, yeah. Let's just build around it. No, it has to be very carefully laid. And that's what God is trying to talk about when he talks about the work of Jesus. He's saying it's a, it's a stone that he has laid very clearly. It has a very clear dimensions to it. So that everything that is built around it 
goes, follows that orientation. Going this way, going this way, going upwards. What is a straight angle going up? All of these things matter. Now, for those of us who are not into building, we're like, well, just throw a rock, just put another rock on it, and then keep going. How many of you have done any DIY work? Without measuring. Uh, yeah, there we go. And you discover that just chopping pieces and throwing screws in, in the thing, eventually you come to a place, you're like, why are these pieces not matching up? Like, I need another piece of two by four to go there because I'm like off by about seven inches. Why? Because we forgot that everything matters. A small mistake somewhere here leads to a big mistake somewhere down here. Big one. It'll be like a gaping hole. Over there, it looks like, oh, it's just a crack. Ah, never mind. Just call it good. It's fine. So that's what I want you to understand. When you see the word cornerstone, it's not a great worship song written by Hillsong. Okay? <laughs> it, is, it is something specifically in Scripture that Jesus is meant to be for us. He's meant to be the one that our lives are oriented around. Everything about our lives have to find its definition and its structure by what he has done. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, you'll see Paul reference this concept. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. So this is a, an instruction, warning to each one because everyone has the ability to build. And he's like, hey, just don't, don't DIY this thing. Don't just be like, yeah, God loves me the way I am, so I'll just do whatever. No, 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 no. There are some things, there are very specific things that God wants you to build with. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Just in case you were like, oh, you know, what are you talking about? Should I be of this kind of church denomination? Should I have done these sorts of things? Should I have gone to church this many times? Should I have said these prayers? No, you cannot lay any of those foundations. You don't see that in Scripture. The foundation is Jesus Christ and what He has done in you. So if you're sitting here in this room and you have come to church all your life, or this is your first time in church and you're like, um, I don't know, I just thought I'd come check it out. Or you're someone who has known Jesus all your life, you've committed your life to Jesus and you've been part of churches and things like that. All of you, I'm speaking to everyone, get your hard hat on, there's work to be done. This series is not just for people who are like, oh, I don't know anything about Jesus. So regardless of where you're at on the spectrum of things that we're working with, we're going to start right at the starting block, the cornerstone. We're going to start right there. Who is Jesus to you? If that is not established, but you built on the foundation of my family went to church, let's go back to the building block. Some of you in this room today are going to have to commit your life to Jesus. Because you haven't. You've just been part of church. Others, you have committed your life to Jesus, but you have never built on it. This is for you too. So regardless of where you're at, I just hope you're paying attention. Not like, yeah, I know this stuff. Okay? Because no one can build on the foundation apart from the one that is Jesus. So how did we get here? I want us to go back, all the way back. For those of you guys who are in the front row, if you've never heard it this way before, well, you're hearing it now. Okay? We need to go all the way back. Where, why do we need a Savior? Why? Why build my life on the, on the work of Jesus? Why can't I just build my life for who I am? I'm pretty cool. I do 
I do stuff that works. My life makes sense to me. Isn't that what matters? Why? Why not? So that's why we need to ask those fundamental questions is, why can I not just build a life for myself? We got to go back, all the way back, in Genesis, where we started. I'm just going to quickly run through the story so that you start to see where it comes from. God's intent for us, can you put my first image up, the first slide? God's intent for us, when He created us, He created us for life with Him. So right at the start, I want you to see that you were created for life with God. You were designed for a union with God that was never going to be in question. It's like, hey, did you find God today? Are you seeking God today? You didn't have to try that because you already you already found by Him. If you look at what our humanity's pursuit has become, is we're looking for fulfillment in so many different ways. We use the word fulfillment in other more religious circles. They will say seeking God or inquiring. But regardless, we're trying to fill something within us that only God has designed for His presence. Which is a very unique thing about humanity. We have, and I covered this a few weeks ago, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he says, God placed eternity inside of our hearts. But in such a way that we would still not know the beginning and the end. We have a a, a capacity for the cosmos and what is out there for all the UFO hunters. We have that inbuilt desire to want to know what's out there. But God ensured that that desire and that wiring that He placed within us would not be satisfied aside from His presence. So, in Genesis, for those of you who know the story and for those who don't, I'm just covering some of the... The fundamentals. Adam and Eve were the first people who started what we would call the human race. And when God created them, He created them with this connection to Him. Everything that they had came from God. And along with this life came knowing God. I know know exactly what He thinks on a subject. Why? Because I get to ask Him. I get to talk to God. How many of you would consider that something that you could do right now? Yeah, if I've ever got a question, yeah, just talk to God about it. I'm not saying pray about it. I'm saying, do you actually talk to God about the stuff that bothers you or just questions? Most of us will say, I don't know because I don't know if I'm I'm being heard or if I'm hearing anything back. or I just put it out there and I hope to be guided to the truth, eventually. What if I told you that God wants you to know His heart? Specifically, not like in some vague, tangential way, you know, I love you, and you will eventually come on the right path. No, 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 very specific, not vague stuff. But for those of you who have grown up in church, how many of you have settled for, I will get this overall feeling We've practiced it. I feel a peace about it. And? Anything more than pizza last night? Because that's what it could be traded off for. I just got a gut feeling. Is that what you're meant to live your life by? How do you know it was God who spoke to you? These are all big questions that we need to answer. And those of us who've grown up in church... You skate on by those things and say, well, I'll eventually get there if I just stick it out. God wants you to know His heart, not just some vague way, specifically, that you can talk to Him. This was something we enjoyed. Eternal life was the intent. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them for eternal life. That was the desire. That was the goal. But one day, in the garden, a spiritual being 
dressed as a snake, comes up to Eve and says, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now, did God actually say you should not eat of the tree in the garden? Just a question. Just asking. Just for argument's sake. Because God had placed His presence. Now, Eden is a word that is used in Scripture for, to describe a few different things. So it's not just that creation garden that we're all familiar with if you had the Sunday school story. This was the place where God dwelt. This was God's embassy on earth. In, put it that way. That's an easier way to understand it. The Garden of Eden was God's embassy for this planet. And He intended for this to grow under the supervision of Adam and Eve. Go, have dominion over all the earth, multiply, be fruitful. This was His intent, that the earth would be reclaimed by His representatives. Adam and Eve, here you guys go. He gave them authority over everything on the earth. And in this place, a rebel got, got in. Someone who had access to the presence of God. Someone who came from the presence of God. But was rebellious. And came and gave a suggestion. Do you think God's really just holding out on you? What if this isn't the whole story? What if He is really not giving you everything that you should be getting? The woman said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the tree in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it delighted her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the, both of them were opened, and they were naked, and they found themselves without. Suddenly you see this quick, trans, this thing transpires very quickly from a suggestion. Maybe God is holding out. And we always think it was the fruit that did them in. It wasn't the fruit. I mean, every Sunday school story or every picture book that you've seen of this account is them eating the fruit. Oh, oh no. You know, and then suddenly running off to a corner. It wasn't that. It was, do you know that you can actually be like God? He's really not sharing everything with you. Think about a marriage relationship. Think about covenants that you've made where you're joined to someone. This is why I want you to understand that what God intended for you is life with God, where you share everything with Him. So the suggestion that maybe He's not sharing everything with you. What? You mean to say, I could get more out of this deal and He wasn't? He was just holding out on me? And she considered it. The moment she considered it and believed a lie, she transferred the, the place of coming under the authority of God, coming under the covering of God's relationship, where trust was forming this relationship. Trust is what knit that relationship together. You and I are familiar with trust being violated. We know what it is like to have trusted someone and then not be held up. And in this relationship, humanity chose to trust something else and joined in, 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 some of you might understand this term, we made an agreement with something else that was said. God said something, but I choose to go, 
not myself, in agreement with something else. So the source of all of our problems always comes down to places of agreement. So if you were to, uh, if you were to dial down to simple things, what is the problem in our lives? The places we make agreements. Did God say, straightforward answer, God has given me dominion over this creature. I want you to remember that. This wasn't like, this was like some, oh no, what are you saying to me? Should I listen to you? No, they had dominion, they just chose not to use it. And the suggestion was entertained to the point of, now did God really, well, well he didn't, he did say, and she actually goes through what God said. And then says, but I think what you're saying is you got a good point. It's tasty. Looks really good. I will be wise like God. What's, I mean, win-win here, right? Except I'm violating the trust that God placed in me. The fellowship I enjoy with God is now being violated. And that separation that now I have between God and me, I want you to understand, this is the biblical word called sin. Sin wasn't eating. Sin was making an agreement that violated and caused separation. The, the biblical word for separation is the word sin. Anything that causes you to be separate from God is sin. Which is why it's not bad stuff. Doing bad things is not sin in and of itself, it is the separation it causes between you and God. Anything. It could be something really good. Like being the best at something. Really good. It's, it's a good endeavor. But I, my heart is drawn away from God towards this thing. That is sin. Do you understand? So sin, we have defined sin as bad things, good things. And that is usually our barometer for how we define sin. But anything that separates me from God, considering that this is tasty fruit, when God said, just don't touch it. All she had to do was come back to him and say, God, I heard this today. That was all she had to do. She enjoyed a fellowship with God, a union with God, that allowed her to ask questions like that. Adam enjoyed this with God. He got to ask questions like that. Rather than say, well, let's make a decision here. Because something, there was a suggestion here that makes sense. So what happened as a result. Is after they ate, there was a separation that was caused. Can I have my second image up? And I want you to see that from having life with God, and these are going to be two distinctions. Their relationship with God, which is their union with Him, they were joined to Him completely, was now violated. This is what sin did. From being joined, they were now separated. And as a result, the relationship that was now dead, caused fellowship, which is an, an overflow of relationship, which is the knowing of God, understanding God, getting to talk to Him about things, all that ceased as well. So when you start to see scripturally, or in the Bible, when you, when you, when you start to understand that God's not trying to create a long list of steps for you to, to find your way back to Him. You were designed for this stuff. But there was a heart that the moment our ancestors said, we're going to give our agreement to something that is created. In Romans chapter 1, it covers this. Let me just pull it up for you because it's not in my notes. Therefore, this is in verse 19. 
For what can be known, Romans chapter 1 verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Not to Christian people, to everybody. Since the creation of the world, the things that have been made. So then they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. They became futile in their own thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And then claiming to be wise... They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25 says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. You start to see the shift that happened in humanity was, the key was wisdom. If I know more stuff, I will understand things. If I understand things, I make the right decision, right? Wrong. God has designed wisdom in such a way that aside from Him, you can do nothing. And humanity has grown since that time. We are maybe the smartest people. Like when you see the people who design microchips and how they're able to get stuff like on itty bitty little things, how that much data can be stored or transferred. Like think about designing stuff like that. The ingenuity it takes to do stuff like that. Yet those same people cannot wake up in the morning and live with themselves. Why? That, so knowledge for all of its fruit does not give you meaning. Knowledge and all the understanding of all the deep things of space and humanity and biology and all of you put every discipline of study there is. God has created you to know him. And everything that is made is a glory reflection of who He is. So if without Him, I don't see the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks that they are wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it, is, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul... So, and this is, he's talking to the church, where they started to get caught up with whose denomination they were part of. It's like, don't you realize everything that you have comes from God? Everything. Somebody's car. There's not a single thing that you have that comes from somebody else or comes from your own ingenuity. So when you look at the trading of truth with God for a lie and making an agreement with a lie, you start to see Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, you see Jesus manifested what it meant to redo what Adam and Eve did. Because what was on offer is equality with God. You can be like God. And Jesus, in Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, even though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at. But he humbled himself. He took the posture of a servant. And he says, I'm here to do your will. Which was all we were designed for. We were designed to do the will of God and to submit to that. Rather than grasp at it. To say, I, I, need, to, I need to know. I need to be like the Most High. 
Do you see how subtle it is? It just quickly happens. Because we would all love to blame Adam and Eve. What bonus? Seriously? Like you screwed us over. Like no. They were, they were they, like it, it made so much sense in that moment. It was an agreement they made. And they didn't realize that they thought, just if I could have this, I could maybe be of better use. I might be more helpful. That's often where our sin starts. We think that we could be of better use or more knowledgeable or, more, or better at something. And we end up saying, I will be like that. I need to be noticed for who I am. But the moment we say, I choose to call God true and everybody else a liar. I accept one thing. I'm making an agreement with the one who made me. And that is what I want to offer you today. You have an opportunity to make an agreement with the one who made you. Not created things. Not yourself. So when there are things that you have heard about who you are. And things that will be your lot in life. You have the opportunity to not make an agreement with it. But go back to the one who created you and say, Lord, I make an agreement with what you have said. So this brings us to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever takes him at his word. Whoever takes him at his word. That's what the word believe means. So whoever takes him at his word will not be subject to the curse of dying because we have violated God's law. Or the command God gave us. But we will have eternal life. The intent which was in the beginning. We go back to where we started. We're no longer people trying to find our way in this world because our meaning is restored. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 5 through 10 says this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is our sins, the places where we cross the line, God made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. That is found in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So that it is not a result of your work. So that you cannot boast. For we are his workmanship. God designed you. He created you for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So this is going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where God is saying, I designed for you to live under my relationship. Can I have that third slide up? So you start to find that life with God was meant to have a relationship that had fellowship. But it is now received through His grace. So He comes and He gives you a gift because we couldn't find our way back. We were stuck. Because once separation had been caused, once that deadness of this relationship was the operating procedure for every person on earth, God says, they have no way back. There was no way we could find our way back to put it in in those terms, back to Eden, back to the embassy of God, where God lived, where God stayed, where God walked around in the afternoon to have talks with Adam and Eve, to talk about how he wanted the earth to be managed, to talk about the things that they were discovering that God had created for them. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 brings this full circle. Saying God wants you to have these things, but it's not something that you're just going to have just because. You were such a smart guy. Or gal. 
But God says, before the foundations of the earth, He already had this plan. So He comes back and He says, they will not be able to find their way back to the embassy. I got to go get them. So He sent His Son in the form of humble flesh. Do you see? Now Philippians chapter 2 makes sense. So He presents Himself not as, here, I've come to totally like knock out every... No. He came in the form of human flesh saying, I will embrace their frailty and show them the way to the Father. I'll show them their way back. Which is why when you sing a song like His Blood Speaks a Better Word, you will start to understand more of these things as you grow. Because there is something that the work of Jesus yells out over your life that says, you are no longer defined by all the agreements you have made in your past. You are no longer defined by that. You are defined by this simple agreement. Lord, I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that I have violated your command. For my life. I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm not blaming the people I grew up with. I'm not bla- Just in my own life, I have not made an agreement with you. So I choose that today. And what, 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 what would you have me do to be saved? Now do you see how that question comes up? What must I do to be saved? You must be born again. In John chapter 3 verse 3. Jesus answered. He's talking to a very well taught. Very well learned man. He says to him. Truly I say to you. Unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. You won't be able to perceive where I am. You won't be able to see those things unless you're born again. He goes like, what do you mean? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Like a, yeah. Every mother cringes. Right? It's like, wait, what? How, what? He's, he's like trying to understand what is this guy talking about? you got to be born again. I'm an old guy. I mean, like, how does this even happen? Jesus answered, Unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot come into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it came from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What I want you to understand is this. You had a birthday. Born of the flesh. That we celebrate. We call it your birthday. We put candles. Woo! Yay! Some of us are like, don't, I don't do the cake and... Still, it's your birthday. But that is still a birthday that is stuck in this agreement cycle. This relationship, can I have that slide back again? The relationship that you had with God was killed off for generations. But he says to anyone who believes in him, he gave them the right To be children of God. That was Jesus' message when he came. He said, anyone who puts their trust in me, it's a word of trust again. It's an agreement issue. The moment you place your trust in him, he says, I give you the right to be called children of God. Now, from that relationship of being joined together with God, you have access to a new birth. Romans chapter 6 takes us through this. Next week, we're going to be having baptisms here. And if you have never been baptized in water, I would encourage you to do so. Why? Because it's a change of allegiance. You're changing from an agreement with a lifestyle that you have lived. Sure, you attended church. Sure, you've been part of different teams. But I've never made the decision to say, I make an agreement with who Jesus is. He is my Lord. He is the one who defines me. Not my birth. Not the family circumstance I came from. Not my brokenness that I grew up with or that I'm living through. Jesus defines me. 
And this will result in a fellowship, which is knowing God. And that we will grow in all the days of our life. But it starts with a relationship. You are now birthed into a new one. And that's what Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to understand. It's not about you trying to find your way back in your mother's womb. He's saying, you have to be born of a different system. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, For if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So suddenly you find yourself like a newborn baby. I, I don't know how any of this works. And that's great. If that's you here this morning saying, I don't know how this Don't worry, we're all in the same boat. I might just be in size two diapers. That's about it. We're all at different stages of this new birth. None of us gets to be as old as Father Time. None of us gets to say, I was there in the beginning when this all... No, you weren't. You don't know the first thing about how God saves people. Because it's a matter of Him saying, that thing which has bound you all your life doesn't get to define you anymore. So He says, truly I say to you, you must be born again. So what happens is the grace of God, which is a gift, but it is not just a gift like, oh, here you go. I put something under the tree for you. No. It was a gift that was going to empower you to make a decision. So he says, I'm going to give you grace through this faith that will respond. Because you were sitting there looking your own way, saying, I need to make the most of this life for myself. And God says, I need to show you the desperateness of your state. Which is why if you are sitting here this morning and you are saying, I see that I have violated what God has said for me. That is a work of God's grace. His Holy Spirit is showing you that you need a Savior. It's not about me rationally trying to prove to you that you need to join the Christian faith. That will not save anybody. You might attend church, but eventually you will stop. The issue is, have you seen that you need to be born again? Which is why Jesus always comes back to that core question. Are you coming from a place of saying, convince me that your God is worth the risk? Do you remember when I was talking about the Living for Eternity series? Why? Me trying to convince you it is worth the cost is not the point. Has God revealed to you that following after Him is worth laying your life down for? So when Galatians 2.20 tells you, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live for Him who died for me and set me free. It's not just a Bible verse. Because I know, I've counted the cost. It's going to cost me. It's worth the cost. Why? Because I know I need to be born again. I'm a new creation. I'm not living in this old life. So as I wrap up here, what I want you to see is that faith, which goes with grace, is something that God will start to give to you. What is faith? Is faith just simply believing? No. Because believing is an internal thing. If you read through Hebrews 11 just as an exercise, you will start to find everything it talks about there when it talks about faith. It says, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abel did this. By faith, Rahab did this. You'll see all of these people by faith. They did something. They didn't like, hmm, I'm pretty convinced of this. Hmm. It wasn't that. Because we often think about believing as a deep kind of inside kind of a thing, right? It's somewhere in the mushy inside. I believe. Well, okay. What does that result with? So believing has to come to a place of confession. Romans chapter 10 tells us this. But what does it say? The word is near you. And in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. 
you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. So there is something that has happened internally that convinces you. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So now are you seeing that an agreement is a very important thing? It's not just something that they do in traditional church. Confession is an essential part of your growth in God. Some of us are sitting in this room. We might have gone to church. We might have grown up in a Christian family. But we never ever confess that I belong to Jesus. I just happened to grow up as a pastor's kid. I just happened to be in a church meeting. I just, I know. And that's all great. But for yourself. Do you see that you need Jesus? And I cannot convince you. And I'm not going to try. The issue is, when you hear the voice of God come to you and say, Here, I'm giving you a gift. It's called grace. And here comes the faith to respond. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? But I would like us to go to the KJV, which I think talks about this much better. It's not just in vague language. It uses the word, faith is the substance. Can you say substance? Substance is something that you can hold. It's the substance. It's the reality of something. It is the evidence, again, Visual. It is not something that's, I imagine I'm holding some water. I can see it. I tasted it just now. I know. So faith is always something that has a proof point. It, it's not like it is, you know, I'm, I'm sensing this and I really feel it. And if your feelings have not caught up with your experience, there is something missing. Which is why when you go through Hebrews 11, there was a proof point that they said, I've seen this and I know that he will hold fast right to the end. This is why the journey of the believer of Christ is not one where everything turns out the way you plan, but saying, I've seen God do this. That's what I'm hinging all of that on. That is why Christ is the corner stone. The moment I have this, I'm building out. Am I always looking at that stone and saying, now this will follow, this will follow, this will follow? No. There are certain things, that, but it will always follow this path. All the way to the end. So what the path that God sets you on is not one that you're trying to like say, I need to know exactly what block is going there. Show me the 2024 block. Show me how 2024 is going to pan out for me. Then I'll follow you. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Because he showed you when he gave you a new heart. He says, I have done this. I have freed you of your sin. Which is why when you're explaining to somebody, how do you know you've been forgiven of your sin? I met with God. The work of Jesus is for me. So it's not about us trying to grow the Christian faith or add church numbers. When God does a re revealing work of who he is, we make an agreement with Him. The moment we do that, we set the trajectory of our lives on that foundation. That's what faith does. So faith teaches you to take the next step and the next step. Take the next building block, put it down. Take the next one, put it down. But you're building on the basis of this, which you have seen. Not something that you didn't see. Because the stuff you don't see is over there. It's up there, all of the, wherever, wherever this building is going. You don't see all of that, but I've seen this. Which is why when you say, you hold it all together, you are the alpha, the omega, you're the beginning, you're the end. Why do we say that? Because he is. We're not just trying to make believe. We're saying, you have set this in motion, and you're worthy of my trust. So if there's one thing I want to close with today is this. Have you made an agreement with God? It starts with something that simple. 
It's not going to feel like your world has suddenly changed. You're not going to suddenly like, oh, therefore, everything about my whole life, I don't have to ever worry. There will be days where you're, you're dogged by something and you have to say, I have not made an agreement with you. I've made an agreement with God about this. Whether it is my marriage, whether it is my children, whether it is my finances, whether it is whatever it is. I have made an agreement that you are my God. That you hold it all together. So that, you will show me how to build. You will show me how to navigate it. And as I believe and confess, I start to find you give me the power to take everyday steps. Which is what we're going to cover next week. How do I walk the life of a disciple? How do I walk as someone who follows Jesus authentically? Not in this hokey kind of, well, I went to church and I got the first three points and yay for me. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about how does it actually apply in life? How do I build without building my own empire? So can you just bow your head with me? If you have not committed your life to Jesus, today is your day. I want you to make that choice. Not because of me, not because I'm saying something to you, but because you have seen you need a Savior. So if you have grown up in church, I implore you, make a decision to make an agreement with God. God loved you so much that He sent His Son for you. That if you agree with Him and yield to Him, You will not perish, but have eternal life. You will never have to live in separation of having to figure out your own life. But you can be joined to God and know Him. To such people, He has given the right to be children of God. To know Him deeply, to know Him personally. To have Him walk you through hard things, easy things, joyous things, and sad things. He is your God. So Lord, this morning we make a choice to commit our lives to you. You are Lord. You are my Savior. And I thank you for the work of the cross. Lord, I ask that you would unpack these things for us, Lord, through the week. Lord, for those of us who have known you before and have walked with you, Lord, that you would show us what it means to be in agreement with you. That we might follow after you with a whole heart. Lord, for those of us who are taking that step for the first time today, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and fill this dear one. Lord, that they would understand the things that you have freely given to them. The things that they have been joined to in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.